Um, as Amy said, today we're looking at penis second letter. Is that going to be all right, don't we? Yeah. Okay. And I actually find Peter quite likeable. Some of you might not, but he's certainly very noticeable, isn't he? Um, when we meet him in the Gospels, he's bold and outspoken, sometimes too sure of himself. Um, always ready to open his mouth when it would perhaps be much wiser to keep silent. Um, there are times when he really seems to get Jesus. Um, in Mark 8, he declares, you're the Christ, when Jesus asks who they think he is. And, um, but moments later, he's rebuked by, Peter he, by Jesus because he doesn't quite get what that means. And in John 6, after some of the disciples have left because of Jesus' hard teaching, he turns to the twelve and says, What about you? Do you want to leave too? And Peter asks, To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. So, and yet, after getting Jesus at times, after declaring he would die for Jesus, he would certainly never deny him, even if everyone else did, he, um, he denies him three times. In his fear and confusion, Peter does exactly what he thought was unthinkable. Well, when we meet him in Acts again, he's transformed. He preaches boldly. He heals in Jesus' name. And when he's brought before the Jewish leaders, he astonishes them with his courage. You'll find this in Acts 4. And they note that he's an unschooled, ordinary man. But they also note that he was with Jesus. So this is Peter. And if you haven't caught on, I was going to tell you that there's an outline that hasn't actually changed, so I didn't learn that from today, um, on page three. So let's look at how he begins this, his second letter. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. Now note what comes first. Not apostle, but servant. And the Greek is actually doulos, which is the word for slave. If any of you are Holman fans, the Holman actually gets that right. Peter's not playing his apostolic card first. He doesn't want to lord it over them, but says first that he's a slave. He's actually learnt humility. He does need to remind them of his apostolic credentials because in chapter 2, as you'll find out later as you study it, he gets quite fierce with them as he warns them about the dangers of false teachers. But here, to begin with, he leads by calling himself Christ's slave. And look at what he says to those he's writing to. To those who, through the righteousness of our God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, have received a faith as precious (coughs) as ours. Their faith is as precious as Peter's. They're not second best because they didn't meet Jesus like Peter did. There are no levels in being in Christ. You either are in Christ or you're not. Just like us. We're not lesser Christians because we come 2,000 years later. Peter walked and talked with Jesus. He saw him die and rise again, and he got to even speak with the risen Lord Jesus, and yet he called their faith, and by extension ours, as precious as his. We all share the same amazing privileges and promises. Indeed, Jesus taught this to his disciples. Jesus is speaking to Thomas in in John 20, 29. I do a bit of flicking. You can either just write it down and listen to me, or if you're a good speaker, come with me to John 20, 29. I've got things in here to help me, but they're not helping. Which says, so he's talking to Thomas. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet have believed. So their faith is as precious as Peter's and ours is too. So in this his final letter, 
Peter tells us that he's coming to the end of his life. So let me um, remind you what 12 to 15 says. So I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it right to refresh your memory as long as I live in this tent of the body because I know I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me and I will make every effort to see that after my departure you will always be able to remember these things. Peter wants them to remember. He's not doubting their faith. He calls them firmly established in their faith. He does know their faith will be tested and again you'll see that in chapter 2 where he warns them about the false teachers. What he doesn't want, he doesn't want them to forget. Look at how many times he actually says that in these four verses. In verse 12, he says, so I will always remind you. And in verse 13, again, I think it right to refresh your memory. And in verse 15, and you will always be able to remember these things. He wants them to remember, even after he's gone, especially after he's gone, he wants them to remember. Do you know this is one of the biggest challenges to our faith, our forgetfulness? It was a big challenge to the Israelites at so many times in their history. The Israelites were stuck, think of the Exodus, they're stuck between the Red Sea and the advancing Egyptian army. They watched God part the sea. They walked through on dry land. They watched God wipe out the whole Egyptian army when he puts the sea back where it goes. Um, and they haven't lifted a finger. They heard Moses, God speak to Moses at Mount Sinai and still, within months... They're too scared to go into the promised land. They go, oh, they're too big. There's too many of them. It's too scary. They forgot. They forgot what God could do. They forgot that if God promised it, it happened. They forgot that God would be fighting this war for them. God's people are told to remember. We are told to remember. Peter wants us to remember. So what is it that we are to remember? Well, in verse 3, sorry, yes, in verse 3. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. This is what we are to remember. We have all that we need for life and godliness. And all that we need comes from God. We didn't have to find it. We don't have to go out and look for it or try and earn it. We have it. If we are in Christ, we have all that we need. And note that it's all that we need for life and godliness. Not all that we need for comfort and ease, or whatever it is that you would like. And in verse 1, you get a picture of it too. To those who through the righteousness of our God and Saviour Jesus Christ have received faith as precious as ours. We've received it from God. So then we are to remember that we have all that we need and that this comes from God by his divine power, his righteousness, his glory and goodness. So then how does it come to us? Um, the second half of verse 3. Oh, I'll read it all. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. So it comes through our knowledge of him. This is what Peter is so eager to pass on. And Peter reminds them where this knowledge comes from. He reminds them that he is an eyewitness of Jesus' majesty, that he didn't make up this story, that no one's made it up, but he's been told it and he's seen it. Listen to verse 16. We did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Peter was an eyewitness of Jesus' life, his teaching, his miracles, 
his death and resurrection, but the thing he mentions here is Jesus' transfiguration. Now, you wouldn't, if you know this story, you wouldn't call it the high point of Peter's apostleship. This is one of the places where he looks pretty silly. Mark's gospel tells us that he was scared, that he didn't know what to say. So in true Peter style, he said something quite inane, as if they needed shelters. Peter had no idea what he was witnessing or what it meant. Now, do you ever feel like that? Um, I think um, you, you can see something and, and not know what it means. Need someone to explain it to you. Some people, um, I know, feel that way about cricket. It doesn't make any sense to them. I feel like that when I watch Lord of the Rings. I've no clue what's going on or what it means. And when I ask a question or make a comment, Dan scoffs. This is my 16-year-old. Because it's usually the wrong, wrong question. One day I should perhaps sit down, watch the whole trilogy from Go to Woe, and then maybe I'd get it. But I don't think that's going to happen because I don't like it enough. But um, when I ask a question, sometimes I might wander through the room while he's watching it. Whenever it comes on TV, he watches it, even though I think he owns it. But I'll ask a question, and he hits me with his favourite line, which is, are you for real? <laughs> and he makes it very clear that my very question shows how little I understand. I sometimes don't even know which one he's watching. Well, Peter has no idea what he's witnessing. And so he asks the wrong question and makes the wrong comment. So thankfully, things get explained to him. God speaks. God tells him what's going on. And thankfully, Peter doesn't shy away from actually reporting this because he, he did look silly. He now knows how important it was, how important it is, because he understands it. And so he reminds us, this was the moment when him and James and John got to see Jesus as he truly was, without the veil of humanity clouding his divinity. And he told us what he saw and what he heard. In the presence of the great Moses and Elijah, God tells them to listen to Jesus. So in Mark chapter 9... We read about the transfiguration. Listen to what gets said. Then a cloud appeared and enveloped them, and a voice came from the cloud, This is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. Moses and Elijah represent the law and the prophets. They were witnesses to Jesus' coming. And now he's here, and he supersedes them. Moses and Elijah spoke from God. They performed miracles in his name, amazing miracles. They were revered by the Israelites. But Jesus is here, and Jesus is God's own son. And Peter and James and John heard God's own voice telling them exactly who he was. So in, um, back in 2 Peter, let's, let's read that. Throw it in. From 17. For he received honour and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, This is my Son, whom I love, with him I am well pleased. And we ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. And we have the words of the prophets made more certain, and you would do well to pay attention to it, as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation, for prophecy never had its origin in the will of men, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This is amazing. Peter is telling us, pay attention, understand what's happened and what is being said. Men spoke from God, 
But now we have the word of the prophets more certain. This is not made up, Peter's saying. Listen. So how do we do that? How do we listen to him? Well, he's God and he reveals himself to us by his word. We have his word here in our Bible. Soak yourself in his word. Soak yourself in his promises. Know them. Be them. God always keeps his promises. Ones that took years. Ones that took centuries. Ones that even took millennia to fulfil. But he still keeps his promises. And he's a trustworthy God and we can know that. I love how Peter describes these promises. In verse 4, he calls them his great and precious promises. So God promises all sorts of things, doesn't he? To forgive us, to be with us, to go before us, to listen to our prayers, to answer them, to do what is best for us, to love us. So many. Have you ever made a list of them or, or looked at a list of them? There are a lot. Think on them. Remember them. Hold them close in your heart. Trust them. Because the God who made them is trustworthy. I want to read you a um, little snippet from a book I'm actually reviewing later by John Chapman. He's, he's actually died now, but he, was a, um, he worked in the New England Diocese for a while, and he says this. I remember being in the common room of Rob College at the University of New England with a group of young men. I was explaining that being justified means that God treats us as if we never sinned. One of the men said to me, Are you saying that God will forget about my past? I replied, That is exactly what I'm saying. And the tears welled up in his eyes and he whispered, that's nearly too good to be true. It is, but it happens to be true, I assured him. Some of God's promises seem like that, don't they? Too good to be true. But as we read the Old Testament and the New Testament, we can learn about this amazing God that we have. We can get to know him. He reveals himself to us by his actions, by his words, by his kept promises. And his words are recorded for us, so we can know what he says, what Jesus says. So get to know it. He's given us all that we need. So as we keep thinking about that, we can see that we have all that we need for now. So, verse 4 says, Through these he's given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption of the world caused by evil desires. Wow, we get to participate in the divine nature and somehow escape the corruption of the world. This is life, this is now. This is actually how we were created, isn't it? We were created in God's image. Now, we're not like him in being all-powerful or all-seeing or all-knowing or sovereign overall. What Peter has on view here are his moral attributes. So that's the sense in which we can be like him. Um, because that's the context you can see he's talking about. He's talking about all that we need for life and godliness and all that we need to escape the corruption of the world. Hey, wouldn't that be a great escape? The greatest escape ever, to escape the corruption of this world. But we do. We share in God's very nature if we are in Christ. So how do we do that? Well, it's been done for us. We've been made holy. So we are to make every effort. God has given us the power to be godly, so we're to make every effort to be godly. So don't get this around the wrong way and so lose the gospel. Don't hear me saying we have to work for our salvation. Our salvation's been won and so we persevere and grow. So what we have is all that we need for progress. So verse 5 to 7. For this reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance. And to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. Well, Peter gives us a list. And he starts 
with, um, with faith. Now, I don't think it's an exhaustive list, and I don't think the order's important, but he does accept that he starts with faith, because without trusting in Jesus, without having him work in our hearts, we can't do anything else. So Peter wants us to grow in these things, in this list he makes. So, in goodness, he starts with being good. We kind of know what good is often, don't we? If we don't, we can look at God's word and get some more clues. And God does spell it out for us, but um, even though we know what it is, we also know that it's hard. But don't give up. Confess your mistakes to God, to each other. Push on, keep trying, trust that he's working for you and in you. And add to your goodness knowledge. Well, we've already talked about knowledge, but keep learning. Never get tempted to think that you know enough. Keep reading God's word for yourself. Keep going to church and see you and hearing it taught. Keep on growing in your knowledge. I love Paul's prayer in Philippians 1. In 9 to 10 he says, And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ. What an amazing prayer. What a great promise. If our love abounds more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, we'll be able to discern what is best. That's a challenge, isn't it? Every day we have to struggle with what is best. Poor old Ray, I was in the middle of a struggle. What is best? Do I come? Is, um, is the lady going to go into labour? So we can, we can do that. If we are growing in our knowledge and our insight, we will know what is We can be pure and blameless. So pray for knowledge. Work at growing in your knowledge. And to knowledge add self-control. Now this is a tough one, isn't it? We all struggle with this in some area. Perhaps you've got self-control all stitched up in one part of your life, but you're struggling in others. So don't give up on those hard ones. Keep struggling. Keep growing in your self-control. Paul's list in Titus 2, of what Titus is to teach the different groups in Crete, has self-control in every list. I think that's fascinating. It's the only one that appears in all four lists. Paul's telling Titus that self-control is important. Everyone needs to be taught this. The older men, the older women, are made to teach the younger women, and Titus is told to teach the younger men. It's important. Keep working on it. And to self-control, perseverance. There's so much overlap here, isn't there? So don't be tempted to give up. The ESV says, calls it steadfastness, and the Holman, endurance. You might feel like perhaps you haven't persevered for long yet, or you might feel like you've been through enough, and maybe God could ease up on you. Whatever you think, whatever you're feeling, don't give up. Keep going. Be steadfast. Endure. And to perseverance, add godliness. Well, godliness has been like God, participating in that divine nature. And again, we find out what that is from his word. And to godliness, brotherly kindness. The Greek here is Philadelphia, so it doesn't rule us out as girls. It's the love we show to our Christian brothers and sisters. We are to be kind to each other. Everywhere, in everything. What we say, how we act. It will be costly and difficult at times, but keep growing in this. Keep making the hard decisions not to gossip about your sisters. To be careful what you say on Facebook and anywhere else. And to be loving and service-orientated in your actions. And to brotherly kindness, add love. As you see, there's lots of overlap. And I think it is, um, I think the order at the end, I think it's interesting that he finishes with love. Because love, of course, covers everything. So here we have a picture of pressing on, of never giving up. It's like a building up to this, add this, add this. Keep going. Never be satisfied. And never be satisfied with your progress in one area, but keep 
going and progressing in every area. It's a, it's a vision of being of onward, forward, upward. Peter's urging us not to give up, to not drift, but stroke hard. It's like swimming or rowing against the tide. I don't know if you've ever tried that. Have you ever been caught in a rip and you have to kind of swim again? It's pretty, it's pretty scary how hard you'd have to swim to get in from the rip. Well, we're, um, the tide is strong and we're in that place where the world thinks our godliness, our attempts at godliness are strange. They actually want us to join them. Peter says that in his first letter. In, um, in 1 Peter 4, 3 to 4, listen to what he says. For you've spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing and detestable idolatry. They think it's strange that you do not plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation and they heap abuse on you. The tide is strong, my sisters. If we give up stroking, we are tending to go backwards. So the next thing that Peter says, as he finishes this list, is if, if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them, he is short-sighted and blind and has forgotten that he's been cleansed from his past sins. So it's interesting to note that he says you won't be unproductive or you, yeah, if you don't have them. So we can be unproductive in our knowledge. Knowledge isn't enough. We can't stop at knowledge. And if we do, he says, we're short-sighted or nearsighted and blind. Now, if you think about it, it can't actually be both those things. They can't rule each other out. But I think what Peter has here in mind is two different directions. I think the blindness is about looking back and the short-sightedness is about looking forward. So the blindness is what we talked about before, looking back and forgetting how the Israelites forgot what God had done for them. We are blind if we forget what's happened in the past. We are blind if we forget that God has dealt with our sin. If we trust in Jesus, our sin is dealt with. As the quote from Chapter reminded us, it's almost too good to be true, but it is true. And if you don't know this truth of sins forgiven for yourself, I hope and pray you'll keep learning and finding out more and that you will want to trust Jesus. Read through one of the Gospels. Find someone perhaps from your campus group to read you and help you answer your questions so that you can trust him. We've been cleansed from our sins and this spurs us on to grow and be productive in our faith. We mustn't forget what's happened in the past. We mustn't be blind well, what about short-sightedness or near-sightedness? Now, I know all about short-sightedness. I'm very short-sighted. If I take my glasses off, you're all blurred. And I would struggle to recognise any of you. I certainly couldn't drive safely. I could see that you were waving, and I know that you're Amy. But you are, honestly, you're a blur. People would see me at the pool and go, I saw you at the pool the other day, and you ignored me. And I'd go, well, that's because I didn't see you. So there's so many things I couldn't do. If I hold this really close, I can see it. So that's what nearsightedness is. See, I can read it now. See what I'm up to. Um, um, so I can I can see things close that are right in front of my face, but everything else is, is a blur. So as we look forward, we have to have long vision. We have to have our vision corrected if we're as short-sighted as me. And what this means is not getting caught up in the just now, 
and losing sight of God's plan for us, God's big plan for us, which is to make us more like him. So what distracts us? What's so near and, and distracting to us? Well, it could be our relationships, our uni course, just perhaps the next assignment, the next thing we have to do, or finishing uni, getting a job. Don't let these concerns stop you from seeing God's big picture for you, which is to grow like him more and more each day to serve him, to grow in faith and goodness and knowledge and self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness and love. We have to look forward and see the future clearly because that's what we have. We have all that we need for the future. So verse 10 and 11, he says, Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never fall and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. One of the songs had this picture. I probably won't be able to find it now. But we sang about this. We, we can look forward to this wonderful, rich welcome. Are you looking forward to that? We don't know when it will be. It could be soon for some of us. It could be decades away. But don't be short-sighted and lose focus on that, our goal, and we get caught up in life now. Don't put off growing in godliness. So don't be blind about the past. Remember what God has done and all his promises. And remember we have all that we need for the future. So we're to look forward and look back. We're to look back and remember all that God has done for us. Remember that we have all that we need. That we have all, that all that we need has been given to us by God. Through our knowledge of him. Through his great and precious promises. What we need, girls, for life and godliness, to participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption of this world. We have all that we need to keep persevering and to receive a rich welcome into his eternal kingdom. We're to look forward with our glasses on and look back with our memories intact. Remember what God has done, what he has promised to do, and know that we have all that we need.